listening to Miscarriage Stories with Arden Cartrett. Brooke, welcome to Miscarriage Stories. Um, I'm equally sad that you're here, but happy that you're willing to share your story because it's so important to have these conversations. Uh, I welcome you to share your story and start wherever you feel like your story begins. Yeah, thank you, Arden. Um, I just want to start by saying thank you for giving us the opportunity to share our stories. When I started going through this, I was searching for things that would make me feel better. And this podcast has definitely been very therapeutic for me. So I thought I would give back and share my story as well. And sharing my story will be therapeutic for me too, I'm sure. So I'm happy to be here to share it. So I met my husband um, in 2013 and we got married in 2017. And when we got married, we decided we wanted to wait a whole year before we tried to get pregnant. Um, but so I was on birth control until about July of 2018. And that's when I went off birth control. And it took about nine months for us to get pregnant. I was starting to get worried. So I had definitely um, started researching on how I could um get pregnant faster. So I was reading um, the fertility books and learning about my cycle and temping and all that kind of stuff. So I was learning a lot about my body, which is a different tangent, but I definitely feel like we should be learning these things as women when we're 13, not when we're 20, 28, 29, 30 and trying to have a baby. Um, I learned Amen. more about my body from reading those books than I had ever learned at school. So um, it's just kind of unfortunate that it, we aren't taught that at a younger age, how to read our cycles every month. <clears throat> um, so yeah, it took about nine months to get pregnant with our first one. And, um, that was a long time, but we were definitely happy when it happened. Um, so I found out I was pregnant on May 1st, 2019. And actually one of my best friends, uh, was pregnant at the same time. We, showed up at a party together and we both weren't drinking and we were like, oh, I'm pregnant and oh, I'm pregnant too. So that was really cool. We were due like the same day. Um, but then she ended up having a miscarriage at about seven weeks. So I kind of knew that like miscarriage could happen just because of her experience. Um, but I was just kind of the one that was like, oh, that would never happen to me and like felt bad for her. But when you don't go through it, you don't really know what to say. Um, I've learned a lot more about her journey now that I've gone through things, but um, so yeah, I never really thought it would happen to me. So I was just kind of blissfully ignorant that first pregnancy, um, something that you never get back, but um, I had a pretty easy pregnancy. I was just pretty sick from like week seven to week 17. So like 10 weeks of nausea. And then I actually had some bleeding around eight weeks. So I like called the OB. I was a little nervous, but again, was like, ah, this isn't going to happen to me. Um, and they're like, oh, it's probably fine. Just let us know if it gets worse. Um, so I wasn't really worried about it. Uh, so then I went in for my eight week ultrasound a few days later and everything was perfect. It was 
spine and they said it was probably just a tear from implantation and it was old blood so it was okay. So yeah, I never had any bleeding after that. And I gave birth to our first son on December 30th, 2019. So he's now three. Um, and I was 32 when I had him. So then um trying to think where to go next. So fast forward, yeah, we wanted to wait like a little while before we had any more kids. Uh, when we got married, my husband, he didn't really care how many kids we had. He just didn't want more than two. So he was fine with zero to two. And I wanted three or four. So we compromised it too. Um, but I never went back on birth control after I had my son. I just tracked my cycles. Um, and I usually was thinking I wanted my two children around three years apart. Um, so in the meantime, kind of after my son was born, my brother got engaged and he uh, was getting married on May 28th, 2022. So last year, uh, which was actually my 35th birthday. So I was like, well, I don't want to be pregnant for that wedding. Like I want to have fun. So we didn't even try to get pregnant before then. Um, so my son was two and a half at the wedding. Um, so yeah, we had a good time at the wedding and of course partook in a lot of drinks and, uh, then after the wedding, of course, it was still COVID. So we get home from the wedding. and like, oh, man, I don't feel good. I think I have COVID. Well, sure enough, I had COVID. So that was right after the wedding. Um, and then about two weeks after I had COVID and after the wedding, I, I had missed my period. And I have very regular cycles. So I was like, okay, well, that's, that's weird. I better take a pregnancy test. And I did. And it was positive. So we had gotten pregnant really without trying. Um, and it was pretty surprising because I had avoided pregnancy for a long time after my son was born. So I was surprised that I kind of missed, missed my window there. I didn't really, um, see that that was going to happen. Um, so I was actually like a little bit mad that I was pregnant because it was the beginning of summer. We had vacations planned and I just kind of wanted to have a fun summer. And then, you know, August, September, I would think about trying to get pregnant. So I was a little bit mad, like, ah, oh, this isn't what I wanted right now, but you know, whatever. Um, so I uh, got the eight week ultrasound scheduled for July 5th. And uh, I didn't really tell my friends or family. I just wanted to leave it until about the eight week mark until I kind of knew that maybe things would be safe. Um, and this pregnancy just felt different kind of from the beginning. Uh, I wasn't very nauseous. I never threw up. I didn't really have any major pregnancy symptoms. I was just really tired, but it would definitely felt different than the first pregnancy. But um, just not really knowing what miscarriage is and what it's about, I just figured, oh, well, maybe I'm just lucky this time. Maybe it's a girl. Who knows? Like, I just feel different. Um, so yeah, I didn't tell anyone, but then like at the eight week mark, I was still, um, I hadn't had any cramping or bleeding. So I was like, okay, well, yeah, maybe it's okay. So I told my parents then, and my husband's parents, uh, like 4th of July weekend last year, cause I knew we were all going to dinner together and I wouldn't be drinking. I knew they would know I was pregnant. So I just decided to tell them. And, uh, of course they're all very excited and, um, asking me how I was feeling. And I actually voiced to them. I was like, well, I, 
feel pretty good, which makes me nervous. I just, it doesn't feel like it did last time. And they're like, oh, I'm sure it's fine. Um, so then after the weekend on July 5th, I went in for my eight week ultrasound and um, she, the ultrasound tech started the transvaginal ultrasound. And of course it was just kind of the silence that a lot of women on the podcast talk about. Unfortunately, just it speaks so loudly when that ultrasound tech just doesn't say a word. And having been through it before, I kind of knew the drill of they kind of find the baby and then they turn the screen around and show you and she wasn't doing that. And so I kind of knew right then and there that it wasn't good. Um, so yeah, she then finally turned the screen and she's like, okay, here's what I'm seeing. I'm only seeing a sack, um, no fetal pole, no baby. Um, so she's like, it's, it's possible that you have your dates wrong, which of course I knew that was probably not the case because I knew my cycles pretty well. Um, so it could be too early to see anything, um, or it could just be a blighted ovum. She's like, I'll go talk to the doctor and she'll come in and talk to you. So the doctor came in and basically confirmed the same things that she said, and that, um, we would take blood to get an HCG count that day. So they took my blood and she's like, um, we'll just wait for the results of this and then I'll have you come back in two days and we'll see um, if it's doubling like we'd like to see or what's happening and we'll go from there. So I don't know, I left that appointment and like I wasn't really in shock because I kind of knew since I didn't feel the same, I kind of felt like something was wrong. So I said to my husband, see, I told you I knew it wasn't right. Um, and I was upset, but not super upset because I was like, okay, you know, miscarriage happens. I had several friends that it had happened to. It happens to a lot of women, you know, one time, like, we'll get through this. We weren't even actually ready to be pregnant. So we'll try again. No big deal. But then kind of as those two days went on, it's really when it started to hit me, um, just the waiting game of getting your labs drawn again and trying to figure out what's going on is, is the most painful part. Um, so then I went back two days later and got my labs drawn again. And um, so then that was a Thursday. And then Friday morning, my doctor called me and she's like, okay, well, your HCG did go down a little bit. So that is, you know, indicative that you're having a miscarriage and, you know, your, your pregnancy is not going to progress any further. Um, and then of course she presented me with the three options that we all talk about in this podcast. Um, so I knew I didn't want to just wait and see what happened because I wanted to move on and, and get it over with. Um, so then I was down to taking misoprostol or doing the DNC and, uh, their office closes at noon on Fridays. So I had to decide in three hours. So I was kind of scrambling, trying to find things on the internet of people's stories of taking misoprostol and people's stories of doing a DNC. And then I ended up reaching out to my friends and asking them because I knew two of them had had miscarriages in, our, in my friend's group. Um, I then talked to people at work about it and found out that two girls at work had gone through it. One had done misoprostol, one had done a DNC. Um, so it was nice to gather information from other women and try to make the best decision for me, um, even though there really is no best decision. But <clears throat> and I did actually find your Instagram page 
Arden. So I did look at that as well. I hadn't listened to any of these podcasts yet, which would have been helpful, but I only had three hours to do so. And I was at work. Um, so I ended up deciding to go with the misoprostol, mostly because we were leaving for San Diego on Monday for a week vacation. Um, and I didn't want my, well, my doctor was like, I don't see any reason why you need to cancel unless you want to do the DNC. Um, but she's like, I can prescribe you the medication. You can take it tonight and hopefully the worst will be behind you by the time you leave for vacation on Monday. And also my doctor was going on vacation on Monday. So she wouldn't have been the one to do my DNC if I had chosen that. Um, so yeah, I decided to go with the misoprostol and, um, of course, she told me, oh, it'll it'll just be like a heavy period, um, which I knew wasn't true just from talking to my friends and reading online and other people that had been through it. I prepared myself for the worst and knew that it could be pretty horrible. Um, I went to Target and I got Gatorade and the, the big old lady diaper pads and everything um, just to be prepared. Um, and had my parents on call, like standby in case my husband needed to take me into the ER or anything, and they needed to watch our son. Um, so yeah, I took the medication then Friday when I got home from work, and about four hours later, things um, started um, happening. I started bleeding, and I know a lot of there's a lot of horror stories about misoprostol, and there's a lot of good stories. And fortunately, I am. One that it was a good story, as good as it could have been, I should say. I I had um, pretty intense cramping, but nothing that that um, the prescription ibuprofen didn't help. Um, so I was pretty much able to kind of do the, my regular activities that weekend. We did stay home, but I was able to play with my son and cook dinner and everything. Um, just kind of had a heavy period, like she had said. Um, so then we were saying, okay, I think I can go on vacation on Monday. Um, so I decided to meet up with my parents Sunday night to um, give them my son because they were going to watch him while we were on vacation. And I was driving home from meeting them and I got some really intense cramping. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on? So I finally got home and I got to the bathroom and um, looked in, you know, pulled my underwear down and on the pad there was the sack that had came out. Um, and I know a lot of women talk about on here, it just is like instant relief. And that's definitely what it was. It was like the creeping went away. Um, I felt it come out and it was just, I felt instantly better. Um, so I just kind of sat there and, and held the sack in my hands. I, as gross as this sounds, I, I just had to look in there just to see if there really was a baby in there or not. Um, so I opened the sack and of course it was empty, which I guess was a relief for me that it, I hadn't made the wrong decision or anything. Um, so then I just kind of held it there and I was like, well, now what do I do with this? Like, do I just flush this? Like, is that okay? Like, and I knew my husband would not want to see it. He's super squeamish about things. And I know that he wouldn't even want me to tell him that it happened. I did end up telling him later, but he did not want to see it. Um, 
So I did end up just flushing it down the toilet, which was hard, but I feel like it would have been harder if I had seen a baby in there. I think I would have kept it and, and done a proper burial or of some sort if there was a baby in there. Um, so yeah, I just flushed it down the toilet and, and kind of said a little prayer and, and moved on with my night and started packing for my vacation. Um, and just kind of looking back, I think about how weird or crazy it sounds that I just kind of moved on and went on vacation, but I really think it was probably the best thing for me at the time. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was a relaxing vacation. We weren't doing a lot. So I just got to, you know, lay on the beach, look at the ocean and just kind of reflect and, and heal from that. So it was better than being at work all week. And I did have bleeding on vacation, but nothing that I couldn't handle. So it actually ended up being a really nice way to, to close that chapter, um, physically anyway. So, um, yeah, after that, my doctor, um, drew labs and everything, and we made sure my HCG went down to zero and it did very quickly. So she's like, okay, once you get a normal period, you're, you're free to try again. Um, and so of course that's, that was my obsession then. That's all I wanted to do was try to get pregnant again. Um, so we, I got my period back in August and started trying right away. And the first cycle was not successful, but then on the second cycle, um, we were pregnant again. So October 15th of 2022, we got another positive pregnancy test. Um, and this time I had all the pregnancy symptoms. I was super nauseous. I was throwing up, um, everything, very tired, um, so I was very hopeful about that. I, that made me excited as nervous as I was to get the positive pregnancy test. I was like, okay, this is a good sign. I'm, I'm having the symptoms that I expected to have last time. Um, and so then we went to dinner with my parents a couple of days later and I had not planned on telling them at all. Um, but then my, my brother and sister-in-law were with us and all of a sudden she pulls out a little onesie out of her purse and she's like, we're pregnant. And, um, I just couldn't help myself. I was like, oh my God, we are too. And we were so excited because we always talked about being pregnant together. And I knew they were going to be trying right after their wedding. Um, so it was very cool. We, our due dates were five days apart. So we were so excited about that. Um, and I mean, this was so early, like I had just got a positive test two days before. So my family knew very early this time. Um, so yeah, I went on to my eight week appointment. And like I said, I had been very sick. Everything was feeling exactly like it should. I even threw up in the doctor's office as the ultrasound tech was coming in. Um, and she's like, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. I was so sick with my pregnancies too. Um, and so she, she's like, let's, let's lay down and look what we got going on here. Um, so I, they started the ultrasound and uh, yeah, once again, it was just met with silence and I, I instantly started crying when she hadn't said anything. Um, and then the first words she said were, um, so you got a positive pregnancy test. And I just knew that it was so bad at that point. And then she's like, and you haven't had any cramping or bleeding. And I finally just, I kind of snapped at her and I said, those are not good questions. 
what's going on. Um, so then she finally turned the screen around and she's like, well, here's what I'm seeing. She's like, it's um, no sack, no baby, just a really, really thick uterine lining or some sort of um, tissue inside that um, is not looking like we have a viable pregnancy here, but I'm going to go get the doctor right now. She said, I've been working here for 25 years and the doctor knows when I say come in now, it's, it means she needs to come in now. Um, she's like, it'll be okay. We'll, we'll, we'll figure this out. And she was very kind, but at the same time, like there's nothing she could say that was going to make me feel better. Or I just, I don't know. I have a sour taste in my mouth for her, just the way that she asked those questions. And, you know, she probably didn't know my history and didn't know what I had been through at the last ultrasound when there was silence. Um, but uh, it's not her fault, but it just didn't feel good. Um, so the doctor came in and she's like, so I'm pretty sure what we're dealing with here is a molar pregnancy. Um, and I was like, well, what is that? And I even work in the medical field, so I hadn't even really heard of it. I think maybe we learned about it in school, but just not something you hear about every day. Um, so she went on to explain uh, there's a partial and a complete molar pregnancy. She said during a partial molar pregnancy, two sperm fertilize the egg and um, usually you see a sac or even a baby sometimes in a partial molar pregnancy. Um, but then a complete molar pregnancy is when the egg has no DNA material and the sperm fertilizes the egg, it implants and it starts dividing, but it's only the father's DNA that is dividing. So all you get is just a big ball of cells that is essentially a tumor, which is benign at this point, she said, but it could turn into cancer down the road. So we need to be very diligent about how we go forward and make sure that um, we track your HGG and make sure that we get all the way down to zero. And she said, and then we'll need to make sure you stay at zero for several months to make sure those tissues don't regrow. So she said, since we didn't see a sack or a baby at this appointment, I'm pretty sure you have a complete molar pregnancy, but we won't know until we go in and do the DNC and, and test the tissue. And she said, during, during a molar pregnancy, a DNC is your only option uh, because it's too vascular and the risk of bleeding out is too great. We have to do a DNC so you can't take the pill again. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is so much to process. And obviously I was just bawling. Um, not only now did I think I was pregnant and going to have a baby, but now I might have cancer. And that is just unbelievable. And just is like a sick joke. Like how can something so beautiful turn into something so terrible in the blink of an eye? And um, so I was kind of like, well, why am I feeling so many pregnancy symptoms? And she's like, well, we'll get your HCG today. Um, but usually molar pregnancies have a very, very high HCG since it's just placental tissue that is dividing. Um, it's still producing the pregnancy hormone in your body, but it's doing it very rapidly. So she's like, I wouldn't be surprised if you have a really high HCG. And, um, so she drew the blood and then the next day she called me 
And she's like, yes, your, your HCG is very high. She said it's 162,000, um, which I know HCG levels are, ranges are so variable and different. And there can be a lot of HCGs that are high and that's normal. Um, but just with my, my first pregnancy, my healthy pregnancy, like my HCG at eight weeks was like 25,000. So for it to be 162,000 at eight weeks with this one was very concerning for her. And it just kind of confirmed to her that this was a, a complete molar pregnancy. Um, so she's like, I can, I can set up a DNC for you whenever you would like. She's like, or if you need a, to do another scan, I, I totally understand if you need to get closure that way. Um, she's like, we'll do, she, she's like, I want to do another HCG in two days just to see where we're at. Cause she did mention, she's like, if it's not a molar pregnancy, it's possible that it's a twin pregnancy and it's too early to see anything with an HCG that high. Um, but I knew that it was not a twin pregnancy. Being eight weeks, you should at least see something. Um, and so I just, that wasn't even like a hopeful option for me in those two days while I waited to get my HCG drawn to see if it go, went up or down. Um, so yeah, two days later, I got the HCG drawn again and it did go up, but it didn't double. Um, so she's like, if if you're comfortable, I'd like to move forward forward with the DNC. And I said, yeah, I think that's the best thing and we'll we'll get it scheduled right away. So um, had my DNC then like three days after all this had happened. Um, and after the surgery, she came in and talked to me and she's like, you had so much tissue in there. And she's like, I knew as I was doing the procedure that it was a complete molar pregnancy just by how much tissue was in there. Um, she's like, but we'll send it to lab just to make sure um, that that's what we're what we're dealing with here. Um, so it was probably a week later, I got the lab results back from the DNC and it did confirm it was a complete molar pregnancy. So a uh, doctor then had me come in for weekly lab draws. Um, and actually she was really nice to let me get my labs drawn at my own workplace. Since I work in the medical field, we have a lab draw person right in our office. So that was really nice that I didn't have to drive uh, to their office every day and sit in the waiting room with all the pregnant people because that's very triggering. Um, so I was able to just get my labs drawn at work every week. Um, so basically they, make sure your HCG is going down um, each week. You They want to see at least a 10% drop every week. And if they don't, if it goes up or if it plateaus, then you have to have chemotherapy. And there's several different regimens that they use for chemotherapy. I think methotrexate is the first line of defense that they use if your HCG is not going down. Um, but that was just a lot to process um, coming out of that DNC. And like, I was just a mess um, because I, I didn't know how to take, you know, I really had to learn how to take it day by day to not get wrapped up in the fact that, oh my God, I could have chemo. Oh my God, I could have cancer. Um, 
So I really had to try to take it day by day. And then I um, had stumbled upon a Facebook group for molar pregnancies, um, which was really my saving grace to be able to have a safe space that all the women there knew what I was going through. And everybody was sharing their stories and talking about um, what the, what was happening with them and comparing their stories and what their doctors had said that their line, you know, the, how they were going to go about their treatment plan and things like that. So that was very reassuring to have that Facebook group. And I think I just spent days on it, just sitting there reading every single thing that everyone posted just to try to find answers and put the pieces together and try to move on. Um, so once again, I kind of find myself lucky in this situation because my HCG did trend down very nicely. Every week it was going down. Um, and I was very thankful for that. Kind of like the misoprostol, I was the lucky one to have a good experience with that. And um, I was fortunate here too, to be able to um, my HCG went all the way down to zero. I never had to have chemotherapy, um, but it did take about 12 weeks for it to get all the way down to zero. And then um, the protocols are different everywhere. It depends on where you live, on how long your OB says you have to wait to try again. Um, my doctor was comfortable with three months of negative after I had reached zero. So um, I got to zero, I think in January. So my DNC was in early November and I got to zero in late January and then um, then had to go to monthly lab draws to make sure that it was at zero. So my last uh, monthly lab draw was April 27th and it was still at zero. So I am officially in the clear. They're they're not worried about any of the molar cells growing back at this point. Um, and I am free to try again. However, I am definitely not in the right headspace to be able to try for another baby. Um, and I don't know if I ever will be. It's um, one of those things where I don't think I can go through this again and not just the molar pregnancy but um, a miscarriage in general having to back to back has been absolutely earth shattering my my mental health is um, worse than it's ever been my whole life <laughs> um, so it's definitely been a process of working on myself and I've started therapy to um, help deal with all those feelings that I'm having with with that. And, um, I don't know if I'll ever want to try again, or if I should just count my blessings with my three-year-old that I have and, and just kind of move on with it. But, um, if you have a molar pregnancy, you only have like a one or 2% chance of it happening again. So it is just kind of a freak accident, but, um, I don't know, just since I've had two back-to-back -back pregnancies where a baby didn't even grow, I just can't help but wonder if I have poor egg quality um, or something along those lines. I've never gone and like gotten any further infertility testing or labs drawn. Um, I think mostly because there's not a whole lot I would do about it. I am going to be 
36 tomorrow. So I don't have a lot of time. If I want to have another baby, I have to kind of make a decision, but I would never um, do any sort of IVF or, or anything like that. So I don't feel like getting labs to determine if I have poor equality or anything would really help me. Um, I did read the book. It starts with the egg um, to kind of learn about how I could improve my egg quality on my own. So I do have, have that in my back pocket, but I have not done anything, taken any supplements really that they have suggested, but I am a very healthy person, very active, eat very healthy. Um, so it's just kind of been very frustrating that this has been happening because I really am in really good shape and I don't understand why, why this isn't happening for me, but, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. I don't know where we'll go from here. I'm not completely, um, saying I'm done trying, but I'm not trying right now. And Yeah, I um, am just working on my mental health and trying trying to get back in into my old self. So it's been very hard. The most triggering thing for me, obviously, is uh, pregnant pregnancy announcements, pregnancy people, pregnant people. Um, and of course, you know, my very own sister in law is about to have a baby, um, and I should be having a baby with her, and I'm not, and that's very hard. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to have a niece or nephew as time goes on. I'm definitely embracing, embracing that that is my niece or nephew and not to see it as, oh, I should be having a baby at the same time. I, I think that I know the most people that I've ever known that are pregnant right now, probably 15 to 20 people, at least that I know are pregnant. Um, so it's Gosh. pretty earth shattering. Um, every time I hear an announcement, it pretty much just sends me right back into the spiral of starting over in, in, in my journey and just trying to, um, pick up the pieces. And, um, I think in this podcast, or maybe it's, oh, I also listened to the worst girl gang ever. I don't know if others have mentioned them, but they're another great, uh, resource for pregnancy loss. So and, great. Yeah, they, they have really gone through about how you should tell your friends, if you know your friends are trying or, or going to announce, tell them how you would like to be told mm. that they're pregnant because everybody's kind of different. And I think a lot of times people assume, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. I should go to her house and tell her in person or, you know, and that's not always the case. Um, and I've kind of found for me that I would rather people just text me and tell me because then you can't see my face, my emotions and what I'm feeling at that moment, because it's usually like sadness or rage. <laughs> and I don't want my friends or family to see that on my face when they tell me something happy. Um, so yeah, just, uh, definitely something to think about in the future, for myself, if I ever do get pregnant again, if I know anyone struggling to get pregnant or with pregnancy loss, it's, you have to tread the waters lightly and, and it's, it can be very earth shattering for somebody that's going through it to hear that, that information. Um, yeah, so yeah, I totally agree. Uh, 
Yeah, something I've kind of learned through this. And I know one of the women in your podcast that I had listened to um, just kind of said how obviously going through miscarriage herself, how much it made her feel bad for how she was there for her own friends that had went through it before she knew about miscarriage. You know, she she mm-hmm. went back to those friends and told them she was sorry for how she maybe supported them or maybe what she said. And I did that same thing to my friends. I apologized to my friends that had gone through it and that maybe at that time I didn't say the right thing um, or I wasn't there for them in the right way. Yeah. It's, you don't know what it's like until you go through it. So it was nice to be able to tell them that I was sorry that maybe I didn't say the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a hard way to learn it of of experiencing it. I, I think it's yeah, it's something I, I always say that I wish I would have learned this from reading a book, but you can't really comprehend yeah. um, how hard it is to support somebody or to know what miscarriage is like until you go through it. You know, I've, I've had similar moments where going through infertility and loss, I then thought back of interactions I had with my sister-in-law where I constantly was asking her when she was going to have another baby. And I wish I could go back and shake myself because I'm like, that's none of your business. You should not be asking somebody questions like that. And we just don't, we sadly don't really understand that until we go through it, which sucks. It does. Yep. It it sucks that you gotta be in the shoes to kind of know. But I feel like you know, things are changing, um, with the help of your podcast and other women being willing to share their stories. We are educating other women who haven't been through it, maybe how to, how to tread lightly or how to approach the situation and don't, don't use the, well, at least statements, um, Mm -hmm. that, that we're, we're teaching people how to be better and how to support women that have been through it. And I am so fortunate Um, I mean, I guess that's not the right words to say, but fortunate that I know women that have been through it. And I have a lot of resources that I can go to and talk to people that have been through it. And I mean, like I said, there's nothing anyone can say. So they don't even say the right things, but they just know you can feel that they just know exactly how you feel. Yeah. And there's a big difference. You know, um, I, I think that what gets people I wouldn't say in trouble, but maybe that they don't say the right thing is they think they have to say everything and something. And and sometimes I think that we um, we don't put enough value on silence and just saying, I'm so sorry and sitting with somebody and what they've gone through. And so then we hear from people who don't understand silence is okay. And that is a form of support of be- them being like, oh, well, at least it happened early. Oh, at least you have your son. You know, these things are just they're so not helpful and they're so hurtful yeah. and language is so important. You know, I, I, you couldn't see, but my jaw opened uh, whenever you shared about the doctor describing your um, second loss as a molar pregnancy, but also calling it a ball of cells. I, I hate that like terminology used. Um, I, I hate that so much. I, I've heard it a few times on different types of losses uh, and that was something yeah. I think that like, I just was shocked at the language of of the tech of being like, so are you sure you got a positive pregnancy test? And those are really yes. hurtful questions. And I'm so sorry for that interaction. That's absolutely terrible. Yeah. And I was surprised when she said she'd been there for 20 or 25 years. Like, 
that she acted like this was the first time she'd seen a, a pregnancy that wasn't viable or something. I don't know, but it was right. Yeah, just not not the right words. And I just think that's if I get pregnant again like that, being in that ultrasound room is going to be so triggering just being there because of the last two times when you know, you get the silence or you get the, the questions of any cramping or bleeding. It just is so triggering. So triggering. I agree. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, uh, I don't know if we need uh, technicians to have different questions of like, of, of what to say, or, or maybe, um, I don't know, maybe that's their go-to in their job. You know, I think in, in any of our jobs, we have like a routine of how maybe we answer the phone and, and that it's just, it's not the same, but I can understand how they fall into that. But I've, I've personally ch challenged like technicians that I've come in contact with or um, doctors that I've come in contact with to ask them like, why are they wording it that way? And they usually yeah. will tell me it's because they're so used to having appointments like that, that they just say the same thing every time because it's almost like their protocol, uh, which is sad because we're humans experiencing something really sad. Um, you know, it's yeah. not it's not answering a phone and answering a question. It's um, really devastating news. Yeah, yeah. Brooke, it. I'm so glad that you um, are in the clear and that your HCG has stayed zero. I know that that comes with a lot of uh, mixed emotions of trying again or not trying again. Um, you mentioned wondering if you should uh, I think you used the word of, of suck it up and, and something about you know feeling grateful. And I want to validate that you can feel grateful for your son, but also feel really scared and really sad for what your future holds, it not looking the way that you expected. Um, all of those things can be true. It's not being grateful or having another baby. It is all sadly a very, very valid way to feel, um, but feeling fearful of trying again, but also, you know, wanting to add another living child to your family. Um, that's terrifying. And, and so it's, um, I don't know, it's it's so scary. I also don't see 36 as old, if that makes you feel any better in this space. I see so many people, you know, at 40 um, trying to conceive and stuff. And so it's, it's so interesting how as a society, we label people over 35 as geriatric in the fertility space, but I don't see you as, as old whatsoever. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. But yeah, it just, it almost feels like I'm being punished. I guess this is the way I see it. I'm being punished for waiting to have children until I was established mm. and ready. And my husband right. and I were in a good, good space in our marriage. And now it's like, I've, I've ticked the clock away too far. I don't know, but yeah, no, we'll I, I totally how. understand that. I totally do. Yeah. Oh, Brooke, thank you so much for sharing. Um, as I tell everybody who especially shares while they're in the thick of it, which I think is so important because it's not all, you know, quote unquote, happy endings that need to be shared. Um, but I welcome you back um, in the future if you have an update or, or anything of that nature. Um, I always love update episodes. So please come back and share what's going on, um, whether that is another pregnancy or continuing with, um, with your son as your um, living child. Yes, thank you very much, Tartan. I I'd be happy to come back. Hopefully, hopefully, good I have happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah.